This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. This weekend, Chris, it's Memorial Day, and uh, no better way to help, uh, I don't know, make it easy than to just go to your local Zupan's and take care of the great things they've got going on. Uh, We've been talking about their ready-to-heat meals. How about a ready-to-heat barbecue rib dinner with Rufus Teague barbecue sauce, baked beans, everything, potato salad. Oh, that's so good. Corn and tomato salad and cornbread. Uh, you basically just fire up the grill, order their signature burger. You're talking about the signature burger all the time. They have the meal kit, uh, everything you'll need for a delicious, juicy burger. Uh, that includes the uh, signature burger patties, Tillamook sliced cheese, uh, brioche buns from Marcy, and uh, classic onion, tomato, and lettuce. Uh, you can also, if you want to go a little more exotic, the signature bacon and blue cheese meal kit. Uh, order this weekend. You can do to that at zoopans.com. And how about some wine for the weekend? Elk Cove Rosé to pair with your Memorial Day grilling, just twelve ninety seven for the weekend. It's pretty great. How did they come up with that twelve ninety seven number? I don't know. It's just a good, nice round number. It's a good number too. So yeah. uh, there's also farm to market beer at Zupans. You're going to want to check out Imperial IBA in collaboration with Portland's Ex Novo Brewing Company. It's bold and crisp. Pairs perfectly with all things summertime. Um, also featuring hand-selected Centennial hops from Yakima, your neck of the woods and your family. Yeah, my wife hails from Yakima. And that, that place is Hop Mecca. It's like the, the place where all the great hops are coming from these days. Right. It's a 8% alcohol by volume, available in a 16-ounce single can or a four-pack. Pa- four you can get it there at Zupans, or you can order it online at zupans.com and when we say their court where are we talking about we're talking about west burnside mcadam and lake oswego Here it is, time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelis from Portland Food Adventures. Thank you very much, Court Johnson from kink.fm. I appreciate it. Um, Here we are in our homes using Zoom to record the podcast now. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we could have been doing this all along. Yeah, we really, well, I think there are a lot of companies that are realizing that. I mean, put it this way, you and I weren't paying for physical office space or studio space necessarily to do this. So there are a lot of companies that are going to be reevaluating their real estate needs uh, in the future. I still think they're going to want office space, but maybe not quite as much of it. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you found that the, I know in my wife's company, for example, they found that uh, people working from home have been more productive um, so th- there, there is that. There's the fear that people aren't more productive at home too, but I suppose technology allows for accountability now. So yeah. I think, I don't know, because, uh, you know, I haven't actually worked for a company that would want to know what I was doing since like 1995. But I, <laughs> I remember I was one of the first in the office with a laptop and they thought that they didn't know why I needed that. Why would you need but, a computer to go, Chris? That was a radio station, man. That was the progressive radio industry. Why are you doing your projections on a spreadsheet? Just use that handwritten sheet that we gave you. Yeah. So um, it's, it's incredible how things, how far things have come. Oh but yeah. No, you've believe- 
there's technology to know if you're clicking and doing things at your computer over a certain period of time. All right. So that someone would know if you were actually working. Well, and, and then at the end of the day, and this is, I always go, if you're, if you're a manager and you're looking at your, you know, the people that you supervise, are they getting their job done and are they doing it well? And if the answer to both of those is yes, then who cares? Right? Yeah. No, there are a lot of micromanagers though, who, you know, are looking at every little thing. Anyway, that's a whole different topic. Yeah. Um, uh, this particular podcast is about the food scene and that requires some attention right now because there are a lot of our wonderful restaurants and restaurant owners that are trying to f- still figure out how they're going to come out of this. And, you know, we're just starting to see a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of some closings. I saw that the Harry lobster closed mm-hmm. recently and uh, we're getting lists on Eater. Um, and we're also mindful of the fact that this podcast, uh, we like them to be evergreen. So if someone's listening to this in 2022, uh, all this stuff is going to be old information. Sure. So, um, But we hope that Flying Fish and Leaf Gildersleeve uh, certainly is not old information. And based on our updated interview with Leaf, that we did last week, Mm -hmm. uh, late last week, um, after the pandemic had a few months to sink in um, because the interview that we recorded with him previous to that, that we were going to, that we're going to run was right before it was late February. I think it was February. That was just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right. So, I think we were starting to wonder about the pandemic then that things had happened maybe in Seattle, but yeah. I know I wasn't thinking about it as a potential problem for Portland at that point in time. And I don't know if Leaf was either. And we're talking about a guy who worked his butt off to get his new physical location, flying fish on Burnside ready to go. And uh, as both a, a little, restaurant almost a little fish bistro fish fish bistro and uh a retail location so uh leaf was fairly well positioned in this because he already had a retail um a retail aspect of his business established the pandemic gave him the opportunity to build that even stronger. And he's had it for years in different locations. Yeah. So he had that set up and he's, as he will tell us in the uh, addendum uh, of this podcast, that's going to run right after our interview from late February. Um, he has, he's, he's come out of this pretty well and he's well positioned too. So um uh, it was interesting because I didn't know going into talking to him how he was going to fare through this. And he actually did very well. And he, uh, as he explains in the interview, again, that you're going to hear after the main interview, um, he was instrumental in helping uh, quite a few people get their PPP loans. Uh, he found a, a person who could force them through and get them done for the Portland food world. Mm. And uh, he was responsible for hundreds of applications. Oh, wow. Accepted. So, um, yeah. And he's also one of the nicest guys. We've had Leaf on a few times. If you do a Google search right at the fork, Leaf Gildersleeve, I believe 
we have had him on at least once or maybe twice uh, before this. And he talks about, in those interviews, he talks more about his uh, background in Idaho and getting started in Portland with his little cart on uh, Hawthorne. Since then, he's moved from that cart to um, Providore Fine Foods and graduated from there to his current location, which is over just uh, west of uh, Laurelhurst Market on, on Burnside in the old uh, People's Pig location. So when we talked to him, he'd been open for a few weeks uh, in February, and he was just getting up and running and learning some things and very excited. And so um, now we have the opportunity to hear two different viewpoints before and after the pandemic. So part one, if we weren't clear, Court, maybe you're explaining it will be better than my doing it again. But part one happens how? Part one is going to be the interview that was pre-pandemic. This is what we, we, the, a conversation between you and Leaf, where bef- before the world changes and, uh, you know, what his plans for the Flying Fish Company was going to be or what it was at the time. And then part two, which will come at the end, happened late last week, where we get an update on what happened through the pandemic and what Leaf's going through right now and what he plans to do for the future. Exactly. So there are three options. Yeah. One is the preferred option, which is to just just leave it as is and listen right through to the first interview sure. into the second interview. Uh, the second is if you want to buzz ahead, uh, Court will put in the show notes exactly where the second part starts on the timeline. Yep. And you can listen to that either first or alone, but we suggest listening to all of them and then come back to the first one. There you go. um, The original one. So, um, and also if you get through to the second one, you'll hear that uh, Leaf and I in the podcast decided to put together a Portland food adventures dinner as kind of an opening up to the world outside on the patio um, and this is a dinner we had been planning for February inside. Mm-hmm. And now that he's going to have a patio and now that everybody's been holed up inside for a while, we thought this would be a really nice way to open up um, his patio and Portland Food Adventures, reopen Portland Food Adventures events to the world. Uh, we don't yet have a date, but stay tuned. Subscribe to um, or, or make sure you're on uh Portland Food Adventures Instagram feed or Facebook feed or Twitter feed, uh, and we'll find we'll give you that information as to when that event will occur, occur, probably July or August. So that information as well. And uh, Court, do we have anything else to add before we get right into the interview here? No, I, I, th- I think I uh, think we covered it all. So the first interview, and this is just me reminding ourselves, this first interview was pre-pandemic. The last part is during pandemic just a week ago right and it's leaf gildersleeve from flying fish company do you ever get tired of the constant push i think a serial entrepreneur never gets tired of a constant push right okay well i've been an entrepreneur for years and i get a little tired of the yeah the push, because, you know, you didn't sign up for the push. <laughs> right. And when you first got interested in your industry. Yeah. Right? It was about the fish. Yeah. It, it was about <laughs> making a living and 
Well, that before when you first got interested in it, it was before making a living, right? It was. It, it wasn't really your responsibility at the time. You that's true working. too. Yeah. So as a kid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's not. They didn't tell you, hey. You're going to have to do payroll and all <laughs> no. this shit along the <laughs> no. way. So. This grand idea of selling fish, and then there's all this shit that comes along with it. Right, but in the old days, here's what's interesting. In the old days, if you would have opened Flying Fish 20 years ago, yeah. 30 years ago, you would have had like an advertising campaign around it. Sure. But it wouldn't have been the constant emails, to, um, uh, social media posts. It's like, and you got... Your shirt, your hat, everything yeah. you have is yeah. about flying fish. It's one big billboard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I just want, you know, it, and you're young, you have a lot more energy. In fact, you know, this morning I was thinking, God, which often happens on the days of the podcast. I'm thinking, ah, do I have the energy to do this? And that always comes up, but I especially knew coming in with you was going to be no problem. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh, hope that that's that way with other people, that it can be an inspiration for people to um, have the drive to go and do it and do what your dream is, I guess. Yeah. No, so you've done it. So your dream now, I'm actually glad we were talking about doing this podcast a couple of months ago and actually right before Shuck, right? And before you opened the restaurant. I think yes. this is better. Speaking of the push... I think it's better to be doing it now, right? You're open. So yep. when people listen to this, they can go instead of relying on them to remember because people can't remember anything for 14 seconds now. No, it's got to be immediate. Right, exactly. Be, so, today. so the immediate thing is to go into the restaurant, which I now, see, if we'd done it before, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to exactly know what we're talking about. That's right. So I've been in. I had some of your food, which is delightful and experienced the space, which is really oh, thank nice. You. Very different than what it was before when it was the People's Pig. Right. Right? That felt like a diner. This yes. feels like a, a beautiful fish market and restaurant, or like a kind of a fish bar, which yes. is what you wanted. It was, yeah. Tried to tried to make it as kind of coastal as, as possible to give that experience. Like well, you if you want to make it as coastal as possible, would you please search out some space in my neck of the woods <laughs> you know that the um manzanita yeah well anywhere out there but you know the um the rising star in wheeler is uh looking for new owners oh really yeah yeah there you go yeah stop what you're doing in portland <laughs> and go out there to to accommodate me maybe and, if i could have a little oyster farm out there with the same time and farm some oysters and have a little restaurant maybe <laughs> But, you know, you've got, a, you've got a lot in front of you, so you never know when that's going to happen. That's true. Or Maylene. That might be perfect for her right now. Yeah, she's going to do something, I heard, this summer out there. Right. She's going to, I think, maybe you've heard more than I have because I haven't spoken to her in a while, but she's going to do some pop-ups out there. But I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, she said something about doing um, like a summertime oyster bar on the coast. So yeah, I think it's, never. I think That's it's more, what she did. Well, no, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. I, I think it's with um, with Travis, but um, it seemed like it was a more long term um, right. stable thing than just the pop ups. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So let's promote Maylene and Olympia Oyster Bar where we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Now that's yeah. the beautiful thing about Portland. Everybody's friends, and you know. By the way, there there aren't a lot of people doing oysters and fish. That's the interesting thing, you know. Someone asked the other night, asked me, where can I go get, um, where's great fish in Portland, you know, and 
we could say flying fish, please. But <laughs> there aren't a lot of you, you moving here from the East Coast. I thought there was this was going to be a seafood area. Yes, and it's a pork area. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's changing. You know, it's evolving. But I, when I got here a long time ago, I was like, "Where's all the salmon?" I thought I was going to be eating. Yeah. It's yeah. not not the case. But at any rate, so there's not a lot of you doing what you do well. And That's so right. therefore you can support each other and uh, and promote each other, which you did at Shuck. I mean, you're all doing the same thing at, at Shuck. Yep. Portland. Yeah. And that was just year three or four. That was year three. Yes. Wow, yeah. I got it right. Usually I'm had I'm always one short because time flies. <laughs> when you're having fun. How'd that go? It was another year. great year. Yeah. Uh, just as successful as the first two years. Pretty much every event was most of the way sold out. Um, and we, we couldn't have asked for anything more. So big, big support. Uh, all the oyster farms are still on board and, and they see a value in bringing their oysters down and um, educating the consumers. And the consumers get this experience, all these different experiences um, to get to know their food better and also eat and drink and support a nonprofit beneficiary uh wetlands conservancy and the friends of Neatarts bay so it's kind of a a win-win when you um you can eat and drink with a philanthropic purpose it's pretty cool yeah i learned something the other night about my girlfriend we went to a uh, benefit dinner for the bushfires at proud mary mm-hmm. she's got an auction she's got a silent auction problem so <laughs> anyway, so to let her know about Shuck next year, if you do a silent, I don't think you do a silent. No, we did a problem. raffle. All right, well, she might have a raffle problem too. So I don't know, but she has a, she looked at me at one point and said, but it's not gambling. So, um, <laughs> but very philanthropic, uh, generous person. So it's good that we have a lot of those people in Portland that want to support Definitely. your efforts and you've always been um a champion of everything that's going out on going on out at the coast yeah um, i gotta set up another fishing trip so that i can in, cancel in nice again? weather yeah no make just, sure it's so nice we, weather so we can do it yeah I'll, I'll put the cards in to the weather gods i will forever be thankful and i've told you this <laughs> to you for forgiving me for being <laughs> such a pussy <laughs> so it's all good leaf had a a um he had a fishing trip set up, and I signed up early on. I was really excited about it. But, man, the weather just looked like... Did, it coming was. Up to it was it, horrible. Well, I'm not one who really pays a lot of attention to forecasts. So I'm like a week before, oh, this might suck. I don't know. But the day before, I was just such a pussy. I was like, Leaf, I'm not going if, I gotta, <laughs> if I'm going to get soaked and drenched. It's not worth it and you just let me off the hook you said you were kind of right not to go so. yeah yeah it was sideways sideways winds and you know not rough seas necessarily but it was it was um not a desirable um warm water mexico fishing trip it was a oregon coast there's a big difference from sideways. when it's nice and not raining and oh for sure cold is one thing you can deal with but but there's a big difference between that and when it's less, like splashing in your face i live at the coast so walking on the beach Yes. You know, I just avoid when the, when the rain is going sideways, that's when I'm out and the dogs have to just deal with it. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was on it. But, yeah. you know, that would have been the consummate Pacific Coast, Oregon Coast experience getting drenched. 
you know, like a TV show. If yeah. there were cameras there, I might have been there. Yeah, okay. Just to complain <laughs> in the cameras. I'm a lifelong complainer. I don't think you are. You you strike me as someone who's always positive no matter what. I'm pretty positive, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty positive. <laughs> so given that, let's talk a little bit about how you, what it took, because I know it hasn't been easy. It couldn't have been easy. I don't know. I haven't really talked to you, but... Specifically, open a brick and mortar restaurant. You've gone from stage to stage to stage. For, so, for the uninitiated, and we can't expect. I think you've been here a couple of times now, two or three. Mm-hmm. Two. This would be your third. It is the third. Yep. Wow, that's good. So we're in year seven. We're starting to repeat the good guests. Thank you. The, the ones we know me. that people will enjoy it, but each time there has to be something a little to talk about, a little different to talk about. But we'd like people to go back and listen to those two episodes because I believe in the first one you talk about. Growing up, how you got fishing into your bloodstream and where that went, and then another, and I think we talked about Chuck the first time. Yes. Or that might have been the second. I think it was the second. Yeah. Okay. But at any rate, just like a, so we can't assume people are doing that. Just give a little background on your family and how you got into the fishing business or the fish business and, um, and where, you know, you opened a food cart in Portland and you went from there. Yeah, sure. So my name is Leif Gildersleeve, and I own a company. Oh, you here didn't in need to do that. Called, we, we've uh, already introduced. You. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so here in so my my life history has really been all about seafood. My family had a fish market growing up as a kid in my hometown in northern Idaho in Sandpoint, Idaho. So my dad used to bring in fish, and my mom, for that matter, used to bring in fish from Seattle and sell it inland in Sandpoint um, where there wasn't fresh fish. So as a kid, I helped package fish and sell fish at our little fish market. It was just a little part-time job. Um, Wednesdays and Fridays every week, they'd bring in fish the day before and package it up and sell it on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then in college, I studied aquaculture, worked in Florida and the Florida Keys in different aquaculture facilities. And then, that must have been interesting for a kid from Idaho to go down to Florida. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Warm weather, lived down the Keys for a while, had a kayak, bone fishing, it was amazing. Why did you come back? Uh, you know, I kind of um, had three or four years of that life, and then my buddies were in Utah, ski bombing, and up at Alta, and, and uh, the elbow deep powder sounded appealing to me because I grew up in the snow. So I decided to make the leap and move from Florida back to Utah and ski bummed and worked, ended up working at restaurants. And then I did sales and marketing and, and got into high-end real estate. And then the recession hit and lost my job and couldn't really find other work. So that's when I needed to create a job for myself. And I looked deep in, into my soul and said, well, I know how to do fish. And I got a little micro loan in Utah and started selling fish at the farmer's markets in Park City. And so that was about 12 years ago now and sold for a year and a half or so there, had my daughter and we decided we didn't want to raise her in Utah. So we moved here to Portland about 10 years ago and I shipped a step fan, big kind of like a food cart over here. And I parked it in a food cart pod across from Pock Pock on Division about 10 years ago and D Street, um, Nosh Pod. And that's where I started selling fish. Is it still there now? No, it's apartments as you Everything's gone. (laughs) Yes. It's unbelievable. just a chapter. Uh, So I started selling fish out of a cart pod there um, 10 years ago. And then eventually within that first year, I got the little fish shack on 23rd and Hawthorne um, next to Kruger's Produce Tent. And that was a five-year stint there. Wasn't there a little seafood 
lobster restaurant yeah, that went in? Yeah, the Hawthorne Lobster House or something that was another failed restaurant in that space. But the, were, uh, you, were you there when that was going on? Did yeah, you was, have, did, yeah. you, did you have a pretty strong opinion on what they were doing over um, there? Because I went once and I was like, okay. It, it was just, it wasn't a fit for Portland. Um, lobster in Portland is, we're, I mean, we're not on the East Coast and the whole right. theme of the restaurant was around the lobsters and um, and the restaurant space there is kind of a weird one. It's kind of mm-hmm. right on the hill. Cars are all passing by and not really stopping. So every restaurant that's been in there has struggled. So were you? How were you doing? You were close by. So I was crushing. You had there. some of the same issues, but people had to. You had to be a destination that people wanted to go to. In a way, you know, we were more grocery because um, we had Kruger's um, produce tent there that was Uncle Paul's before Kruger's. So it was a you know ten year existing uh, produce tent, and then Grand Central Bakery right there. So you right. kind of had the the three some with the veggies, um, my proteins, and then the bread from Grand Central. So it was more of a grocery little corner uh, whereas you know just up the street where um, township and range and then that lobster um, place was it was just a, like a block off and there wasn't any other restaurants around so it's kind of its own isolated restaurant in a weird spot on the street so we did fine when i moved in there with krueger's um, both of our businesses doubled and we just having that that collaboration really worked well so the hawthorne chapter for me was a wonderful chapter it was five years and I built out this shipping container to be my commercial kitchen and I was selling wholesale to all the restaurants in town and I was smoking my salmon out back of the shipping container and and the customers loved the experience. It was this little fish shack that they got to come in and we were moving fish in and out and it was just a really fun experience. So when I moved to Provador four years ago, it was actually a tougher transition for me and my customers. They actually didn't fit that well at Provador. I have a lot of customers that since I just opened my new location at 30th and Burnside, now I have these old Hawthorne customers coming out of the woodworks and I haven't seen them in four years because mm. they wouldn't go to Provador. It's it's over the 84. Yeah, it's over the 84. It's on the other side of Burnside. It was just a different um, environment and atmosphere than what it was at the shack on Hawthorne. Right, well, there's a, different, there's a big difference between the shack and Provador. That's right. That's right. um, So now I kind of wanted to blend those two where, you know, it's a nice enough space that it's a presentable and it's not full shackish, but there's still got my character and, and, you know, our, our little quirkiness in, in spots in the new spot. So it's a balance between the two now. Is that planned quirkiness or is that just right now you're excusing the quirkiness and say someday we'll deal with that and it'll be the, that one. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm quite resourceful with, with building out and, you know, you preface this question with, you know, how was it building this out and that, you know, I've always used kind of what I have and at the new space where I am right now, I tried to use as much, many of the pieces that were already existing in the restaurant that went out of business at that location and so I didn't have to buy more stuff and then it looks very different though I can't say if if you if I close my eyes and just walked in and opened my eyes and said here's flying fish I never would say oh we're in the old people's pig location no no and you know I had to pull up all the tile floor I pulled down all the walls 
I took the whole bar out. So basically gutted the whole front room um, from down to the drywall and then did the polished concrete floors and then did a new ceiling. And so in the front of house, I pretty much redid everything uh, to be able to get both the layout that I wanted and the aesthetic feel that I wanted. Um, The kitchen and the prep area and stuff, I didn't have to do much to because he had already built that out and the walk-ins were in place and the hood was in place. So I was able to pretty much step in. Uh, I've had to replace some equipment that died um, that kind of came with the building. But overall, I didn't have to do any major like permitted construction uh, in the kitchen side of the equation, which was nice. Yeah, and you got it done pretty quickly. Two and a half months of, um, you know, closed right um, before Thanksgiving. So towards the end of November, I had December and January to build it out, and we opened on February 10th. So I think this is a good moment just to take a spot to pause. We are uh, pausing here during the podcast to talk about one of our favorite places to eat when things are normal, which is Ringside Steakhouse. Now, uh, Ringside is currently closed due to the pandemic, uh, but they've been doing some really interesting things. Uh, You might have seen it in the news. Uh, They had a steak sale recently that uh, had a line down the street. A mile! A mile! That's That's how badly you want to get in on the next sale, yeah. much more organized, but it was a mile down the block. They immediately regrouped and said, okay, let's fix this. Yeah. And so now they're now Ringside is um, uh, doing pre-orders and they or, you, you order ahead of time to pick up uh, in the parking lot uh, when they are ready to do so. The next one will be Saturday, May 16th. So what you want to do to be able to get in on incredible deals on their uh, on their aged beef mm-hmm. steaks lamb and barbecue ready meal kits is you want to go to ringside.com get on their mailing list so that you are the one of the first of thousands to hear uh, about how to order these incredible products for pickup and enjoy at home and Chris, here's another great way to support Ringside Steakhouse. You can also purchase gift cards on the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. Uh, obviously, these gift cards would be able to use when you're able to go back and, and eat at Ringside. So right now, if you purchase $300 worth of e-gift cards, you'll get a $50 bonus gift card. Or when you purchase $500 worth of an e-gift card and uh, a $100 bonus dining card. So definitely a great time for you to uh, support Uh, ringside steakhouse and also get some little something extra extra once you get to go back there okay so now you're open and um it's been what two weeks two weeks yep today is two weeks wow i didn't even look i just just pulled that out um i got in for some fish and chips excellent very nice oh thank you really enjoyed it i wish i had come with somebody else so i could have tried three or four more things yes Uh, but everything on the menu Looks great. Why don't you, um, well, this podcast is not necessarily about this, but you're so excited about it and it's new. Why don't you talk about some of the items on the menu? We never do this. Yeah. But uh, some of the things that are you're excited about. Well, you know, what's interesting is we, we just a couple moments ago talked about Shuck and, and uh, the oyster culture here in Portland, which is is growing. And there are some more establishments now that are starting to, 
have a better, more robust oyster program. Um, and I'm seeing it from a consumer perspective that a lot of people want oysters. They love the wonderful oysters on the half shell that come from the Northwest. And um, so our oysters on the half shell are actually a, pretty much our number one food item still. Uh, over at Provador, we had the little oyster bar set up there. And we had an incredible selection of, you know, six to 12 different varieties of oysters at any given time. And we still have that now with the same oyster bar that we had at Provador. And, um, you know, it's been super awesome. We've been selling out. Um, unfortunately, on Sunday, last couple Sundays in a row, we were almost out of oysters completely and couldn't really get any more on Sunday. That's so. a good problem. Though. Good I, problem. I think yeah. that actually is good because then people are going to know we got to get there before they're out. Right, don't yeah. you think? I mean, you yeah, want, in a way. want to accommodate people, but on the other hand, the cachet of if you don't get there, you don't get it. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I've always created, and and that's been part of my model with the fish market is to switch gears from this corporate, you know, Whole Foods, Safeway, New Seasons mentality that you can never run out to listen. We get small amounts of stuff in, and we sell it out, and then we get more stuff in. So that we're not sitting on 100 pounds of something so that we have it for the whole week and never sell out. Mm -hmm. Get here. If you see that we put it out on social media that we've got X, Y, or Z in the shop, you better get in and get it because it's going to be gone. And that's really, for me, retraining the consumer mindset, which is hard because as a consumer, we're used to always having this in the store and always having that. And We're and such gluttons in the United States. Absolutely. And then on the grocery world, we have we continue to provide for that gluttony that everything's available all the time. And it's just not the case. You know, I don't defrost fish that was caught in the summertime just to have it in my case defrosted so that somebody, so it's convenient for you to cook it tonight at home. Right. I keep that frozen. And then what's in my case fresh is actually fresh and what's in the season now. That makes complete sense for fish. I think people generally understand that too, because. But I'm the only one that does that. The even only one in, in Portland that does that? And almost any fish well, market. Well, yeah, because uh, City Market closed. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. I guess I can... Yeah, Newman's is no longer. Um, yeah, there's there's not many places around, and, and almost all grocery stores and fish markets, for that matter, defrost some of their fish, whether it be the shrimp that they have in the case. Those are all just frozen shrimp. They're just defrosted, sitting in the right. case, and I just don't do that. So it's a little different model than what most would expect. Um, so trying to retrain uh, one piece of fish at a time, one consumer at a time, and um, the people that have been with us for a long time can appreciate our position, uh, although it's not always convenient that you come in looking for this and we don't have it, and we try to educate and say that, you know, this is a good alternative to buy to this. Um, but sometimes it's inconvenient if we don't have what exactly you're looking for, and so we try to do our best to have that most of the time, but it's, you know, we're not perfect and the ocean's not perfect and fishermen can't always get out and fish. So shit happens. Do you do any of the um, species that the the guys at Rizzo do or do you, can, can people source that from you? Yeah. Some of the more kind of invasive species. Um, yeah. I, I do get in some um, fun stuff like skate wing and smelt and um, some different kind of clams and stuff. He, um, Jacob is doing a great job educating the consumer on those incredible you know, very, very far out things um, because he's also the one that knows how to handle them and cook them and then present them that way. For me as a grocery, like as a fish market, often if I get something in, the consumer doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so he has that opportunity to be able to do X with it and then present it to the, the consumer and then they like it. 
Um, so it's a little bit more challenging for me in the grocery, but my consumers and people in Portland in general are really awesome about wanting to try new things and um, explore. So they do definitely buy a lot of the um, quote unquote undesirable species or, you know, trash fish and, and that sort of but thing. But you have the opportunity, I think, when someone comes in and says, what's that? You can say, well, go sit over there. Yes. And order this and we'll make it for you and yeah. you'll see how you can do it at home. Yeah, yeah. We haven't haven't quite figured out the system for that being that only two weeks in so far, but that's absolutely something that in the future would be super fun to be able to do where they pick something out of the case and then we prepare it for them. And then it may not be on the menu, but it's just something that's a la carte. Oh, right. That. Yeah. But I was also thinking that you would have it on the menu already and say, yeah. oh, that's that. Uh, we have it on the menu because... Go try it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We've been we did that last week with uh, the Columbia River smelt that came in fresh right mm-hmm. now, and uh, so we gutted them and then did a little tempura um, batter on them and fried them. So we had whole fried smelt on the roasted root veggies, and that was our chef's platter for the night, and that was delicious. So um, whole yeah. Bullshit. Move out to the coast, would you please? <laughs> Wipe that drool off your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I know no, you're hungry, but no, I would. Uh, well, my thing, and this podcast is not necessarily about me, but my thing has been, the coast for me has been my um, way to escape eating all as much of all the great food there is in Portland. And I lost weight when I moved out there. I'm still challenging <laughs> myself a little bit, but it's more about the walking and not so much about the, all the food out yes. there for me. Yes. That's here. But there's some out there. Increasingly, yeah. it's getting a little better. Okay. But it's out there. It's one step forward, one step back because the uh, restaurant environment there is very tough. Tough. So someone may get mm-hmm. find a a great chef, and then next thing you know, they're gone because they can't sustain them yes. any longer. So yeah, it's uh, it's a little challenging out and there. And seasonal, I'm sure, as well, right? You well, know, that's the time. That's what kills it. If it was all January, February, if it was all. I'm sorry, July, August, September. They'd all do well, but how to, it's it's really hard to figure out how to yes. make it work out there with people like me, you yes. know, as your clientele. Yeah, uh, and by that I mean there aren't many many there aren't many of us living out there. Um, it's a tough world out there because it is either retired or there are a lot of younger people who are trying to figure out how to make it. Yep, it's tough. Yeah, so, yeah. My hometown is like that as well, Sandpoint, Idaho. It's just very. Um, touristy and summer times are great winter time we still got the ski resort in the town but it's 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 not a slam dunk so it's a it's a tough equation i i, I consider us blessed here in portland um, by the food culture we have here and the tourism industry that is becoming more and more these days um, but it's also not a slam dunk that if you're a restaurant or you've got this grand idea to open a restaurant in Portland and there's all these people coming here to eat, uh, guess what? There's 200 other restaurants that just opened last year or 300 or whatever the number is. So you better be damn good. Otherwise, you're, you know, mediocre doesn't work in this town and your customer service better be on point. Your people better be happy and you better be sourcing good food and putting out good food because it is by no means a slam dunk to open a restaurant in Portland and be successful. Especially with the service side of it, because you can control, you know, you can control a lot of and uh, the sourcing. Um, the cooking is a little challenging, too, Absolutely. because, you know, there's a, you, you're mentioning a lot of restaurants opening and a lot that are still open that have been open for years. Yep. You're competing for labor, a labor market that, that is increasingly squeezed because they can't the labor market can't afford to live here anymore. No. Um, and so it's really, really hard to to do. So when you're opening 
a new restaurant and you're two months away, you don't even, even know who half your staff's going to be at that point. You got to train them all yep. too and, and have them be really good at customer service, which just, that's not a slam dunk. No. So some people just don't know it. No. Nope. Don't, don't get it. No. I was in a restaurant and um, this was awesome. I have to mention this once on the podcast. I was in a restaurant in um, California, Northern California. We were around the Redwoods. What was the name of that town? I'll think of it, but... Um, Carson City? No, 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 no. It was inland. It was right below where the Avenue of the Giants ends. Mm, yeah, I know. So we're sitting about. there having lunch, and we literally heard, it was like 2 o'clock, we literally heard someone in the back go, uh, all right, doors are closed, no more fucking customers to deal with. <laughs> 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 so there's your labor, your labor challenge right there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That they didn't, I can't even believe they didn't even think, oh, there are a couple out there still. <laughs> Fucking customers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, and I think Portland, you tell me what you think, um, doesn't necessarily have it dialed in with service. Everybody should go to Ringside, I think, and go eat there to see how it's done mm-hmm. there. And even if a restaurant doesn't want to do white tablecloth service, yeah, they just need to see how common courtesy is and how really thinking about what is the best experience for the customer yep so i don't know how you what your experience is with that and do you get to go out a lot you're so busy do you get to you know i'm guessing in sandpoint you didn't have a lot of great restaurants to go out with as a kid and so your experience as a diner is important now that you have a restaurant yeah absolutely you know when i was doing wholesale Four or five years ago in Portland here, I was going out a lot more um, to visit the chefs and eat with the, the places that I was selling fish to. Um, now it's less common, um, but I, I definitely still try to hit up as, as many good spots as possible. More lunchtime stuff than dinnertime stuff. But yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, we, we do have such a, a blessing of incredible assortment of food here to choose from that... You know, there's there's incredible people doing incredible stuff here, and I I think that one of the things with customer service that you mentioned is that it really it starts from the culture of the owners chef of these restaurants that you know we've got to create a culture in the restaurant that make the staff want to be there, and it's not just they're just not just another warm body in the place that there's actually value and and we see each other eye to eye, and I think that a lot of times there's these restaurant groups that just open up these restaurants and it's a concept and it, there's not the heart behind it of an individual that's running their own spot. And that I think is the difference is, is finding the culture to be, you know, authentic and unique to that person um, that really has a vested interest in the place. Um, and that's one of the problems with scaling. And, and I feel like you lose a little bit of that culture, um, that heartbeat of an individual spot when you try to do multiples. So, well, part of that is the positive that you emit, right? And then, then the other part is if I fuck up, I'm disappointing Leaf, as opposed to yes. if, or, or if I, beyond that, if I do something a little clandestine, I don't care. Yep. That company is in Seattle, or, you know, who cares about those people? Yep. But they care about you. Yeah. And so I think that that is what makes a difference. But you don't automatic. It's it's not you can't take it for granted either because you're not automatically just because you're leaf and you opened it. And no, cool. That everybody's going to love you off the bat anyway. You've got to do the things that are a little difficult. Owning a business, it's not all. It's not all you know. Dancing on you know like ballerinas. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I also try to hire people that also have their friends that come in so that they can have a vested interest in the place where, you know, what they're doing is their personality and it's their name behind it as well. So that it's not just about leaf and what my people think it's, it's, it's them that have ownership in the place as well. And, and, and the actions and, um, trying to engage people as much as possible. I'm terrible with names and I know his name, but the guy who was an expatriate that I met Charles, Charles. Yes. yes I thought I was thinking, I'm t- so, but yes, he's an example, right? He's a great so example. I got to know him in Expatriate. Yeah. And he was behind the bar. Yeah. And so someone behind the bar, when you're sitting at the bar, that's, there's a, an intimate relationship, at least for the hour, hour and a half you're there. Yep. Same thing. He's got a vested interest. He's got friends and yep. industry people who know who he is. And yep. so you're, it's kind of a little bit of a network. It's a tentacles are out there. You bet. And that's really what this whole project has been. And so to, to go back to, again, your question of, of how has it been to do this project and open this brick and mortar restaurant? Um, it's been incredible. I've reached out to every resource possible under each category, whether it be construction or Charles in the bar or chef, Eric England or chef Andre Uribe, um, all my other, um, Haley and Ryan who've been with me and my buddy, Brad, who writes my emails and, and then everybody under the sun. That's and, not you. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm no. not reading them anymore. I thought it was yeah. you. I was yeah. just being nice to you. Yeah. No, we, I send them the <laughs> info and then, um, so it's really just this, um, a whole effort from a whole team and different beverage people and different food people and sourcing this from this and this from this. And it's been amazing. It's been a project that people, um, that it's just flowed together uh, miraculously. It's been phenomenal. So uh, sometimes on projects you feel like you're swimming upstream and you're always hitting roadblocks and, and always have something going wrong. And this project has been the complete opposite where it's just flowed wonderfully. It's the next chapter um, it's been the blessing of all blessings to, to be there. So you didn't have, when you look back a couple of years from now, one at least one incident that was like, holy shit, this is going to put a two-week wrench in the in the system, the whole thing. It went that smoothly? It went pretty smoothly. I mean, we certainly had, you know, our sandwich prep table, it was out for the first week, and we were having to ice everything in there, and my dish pit wasn't great and our hot water heater wasn't working and you know we had we had issues um but you know we just i've been able to tackle one at a, at a time and um one day i'll just get them all taken care of and everything will run perfectly <laughs> that was just so you know leaf was looking up at the sky uh, and there's no sky here so that's exactly it yeah but yeah, no, th- that's the problem with scaling, though, because if you kept it where it is, you'd probably get it dialed in. Yeah. But then someone like you is going to get bored. <laughs> All right? You're going to have to expand. You can't, you can't just sit still. Not you know? much. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not moving, moving anywhere, though. We've definitely found our home there. Oh, no, but for, for, the sh- for the short term. But I'm talking yeah. about three or four years from now, you're not going to be sitting just at Burnside. <laughs> There's gonna be, think of, well, think about what you just said a while ago. You know, 12 years ago, you were in Utah. Yeah. And what's happened between, in that span of 12 years, which is not a long time, right? No. Think about all the things that you've done. I always do this because I try to, when I hear, you know, what people have done since they opened in 10-year period of time, five-year period of time, I try to think of, gee, what have I done in that span of time and have I accomplished that much? So 
we all do that. But I think you've important you, to do. Yeah, I think you've I've accomplished a ton, and Thank you're not you. gonna you're not going to sit still. No, um, you're right. But let's take a break, and I just have a little question for you when you get back. Which before we get back, I'm going to ask you if you want me to ask that. Gavi. Pausing a moment here, Chris, to uh, give a shout out to our friends at Toro Bravo Inc., uh, John and Renee Gorham, all the great things they do. And we're talking about iconic Portland restaurants like Toro Bravo, Tasty and Daughters, Tasty and Alder, Plaza del Toro, uh, Mediterranean Exploration Company, Shalom Y'all, and Bless Your Heart Burgers. Uh, Such great places to eat in Portland. Yeah, and we're thankful to be associated with those restaurants. Proud of that, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And so if you've been listening to the podcast, you might listen to our episode with Renee Gorham, uh, where she indicated some of the things they're doing now with Feed It Forward PDX. I don't know whether this is part of it or not, but they're doing sliding scale meals that you can enjoy yourself based on what you can afford. So call them at any of their restaurants, and they're happy to provide a meal for some for some folks who are having uh, tougher times than usual right now. But the other thing that they're offering is to make a donation for meals for others. So your donation can go to uh, sponsor a meal for homeless youth at PEAR, a Portland organization, or women and children at Rosehaven, or a family at Portland Homeless Family Solutions, or anybody experiencing homelessness at New Avenues for Youth. Uh, They're also... Uh, allowing you to sponsor a, ca- a meal for healthcare workers. And again, even if it's not for you, if you want to sponsor a sliding scale meal for someone else in need, you can order that at one of their restaurants. So um, you can also contact anybody in the food world who's listening. If you want to contact uh, John and Renee about donating your food that they can put into those packages, please do. So you would learn more uh, at any of Tor- Bravo's websites, and you can email them there, or you can call them for takeout at those places, too. Let's not forget, you can just order straight up off their menus, and they appear on the website. You can start at torobravoinc.com, and then choose the restaurant that appeals to you most at that particular point in time. Toro Bravo, thank you, folks, for being such wonderful people and a stellar example of how a community works together to get through something tough like this. All right, we're back. So, um, Leaf, when I was in there the other day and enjoying your incredibly delicious, perfectly crisp uh, fish and chips with the coleslaw that's very different than any other coleslaw that I've ever had. Thanks. And the JoJo's, which were so good, as not a big JoJo fan, I actually enjoyed them. So right. after the after looking at them and going, oh, that's a little, not my kind of fish and, not, not my kind of chips, I bit into them and thought, oh, these are really good. This is going to make me like JoJo's. Yeah. So there were those. But I also asked for a uh, some clam chowder to go, and you weren't doing, you're not doing to-go food. Of course, you're a market, so it's to-go Everything's to go in the, you know, as far as fish goes, but yeah. prepared stuff, you're not doing to go. At this moment in time, I don't know when people are listening to this, 
So will that be the case, at least for a clam chowder that you can put into a container pretty easily? Absolutely, yeah. So for the first couple of weeks, we have just tried to get our feet underneath us and not do the takeout um, to go stuff. Uh, it's been super busy. It's been awesome. Very well received in the marketplace and community and people eating. Um, so we decided to just, I just didn't have all the pieces in place to have like all the to-go boxes and everything to put everything in. So um, right now we do have some soup cups with lids that I, I purchased um, to be able to do some clam chowder to go or like a fish and chips to go, but we just haven't had everything in place yet. Um, but that is something that, you know, I feel like that's a, you know, kind of like Instacart is for the grocery world, um, you know, Grubhub or um, Gotta do all, it all those, all those delivery services. Yeah. There's that's where everything's going. Is it to is. Go. No one, it is. Yeah. yeah. And with only 24 seats in the restaurant. And of course, when I expand the outdoor stuff for the springtime, that's going to offer more, but we live in a, we're at the edge of a Laurelhurst neighborhood and Lentz and, or not Lentz, but, um, there's absolutely going to be people that want to go food and we're going to have those systems in place. Um, with that being said, we're also going to do like tuna fish sandwiches in the case that you could just grab a tuna fish sandwich that's there wrapped up. Um, also like quarts of clam chowder that are cold in the refrigerator case next to the fresh fish and then some um, packages of like poke to go so that you don't have to wait for the kitchen to put out a poke that we'll just have that ready to grab and go and maybe save each that sort of stuff. So we'll have some like to-go items that are already pre-packaged and in the case that we make fresh every morning and then we'll have some of the fish and chips and stuff to go in the long term as well. I would say in the next um, week or two we'll we'll figure out our to-go oh, well system. Then, but that will have been in place by the time people hear this. Yes. This is, we're, gonna, we're recording this a little before it's going to be released. Perfect. So go, great. Then get in and get the... The other thing to note, while there aren't a lot of spaces, you have some parking there. So yeah. if you get lucky... On Burnside, you can drive right in, eat or pick something up and jump out too. So it's always nice to know. For me, one of there are a couple of things that are important in dining mm-hmm. and or anything now. Parking is one. Yep. Like I'll go somewhere if the food is if you know that's maybe before. What's the food like? It's like can I park? Agreed. Easily. And the other one um, is more for fine dining, but uh, the comfort of chairs is important yeah. to me. Yep. At this stage, you know, yep. I'm, I'm older. My butt has, I, I have all the fat not on my butt. So uh, it makes import, it, it yes. makes it, uh, so I think about that stuff. But parking yeah. increasingly in Portland is more of an issue. It is, yeah. And There's a lot of super busy restaurants mm-hmm. that don't have any parking at all. So I feel blessed that at least we've got five spots. And then beside those five spots, is it easy to park in that neighborhood? Because yeah. I, I, you know, I've gone to Padi a few times, just also mm-hmm. for those who are 100% can't read when you said um, where it is on Burnside to give it a to place it, but you're between Paddy and Laurel Horse Market or yeah, so Music um, Millennium, Music Millennium, yeah, right, yeah. Right. So we're at 30th and Burnside. You know, 28th and Burnside is is certainly a hot spot. You know, with Paddy there and 50 Licks and Holman's and and then the theater, Laurel Horse Theater and Starbucks and Whole Foods and all that right there in that in that corner. Um, it's a little bit busier right there at that intersection as far as parking. But based on the fact that we're two blocks up from that, it's more residential kind of streets right around us. So parking doesn't appear to be too much of a problem. I mean, within a block of of Flying Fish, you can find a parking spot if all of ours are full in the little parking lot that we have. That's great. It hasn't been a problem. Good. So are you, uh, are you, um, you haven't had time. You've been really busy. It's only been a couple of weeks, but are you you becoming, and I don't even know if you find Earl 
at Padi anymore. Uh, where do you find Earl these days? Where, where in the world is Earl? That's that's what we have to do. We have to do a podcast call. Where's Earl? Where's Earl? Because he's got a lot of new things going on now. Yeah. The guy's awesome. awesome. I remember when he was just Paddy. Yep. Well, he had some things before that. Are you getting, making friends with those folks in that area? Oh, for sure. Laurelhurst folks have been down, um, you know, coming up from Paddy. And, and you know, we, we'd like to be a good neighborhood place and friends with everybody and, um, you know, helping the neighbors that are behind us to make sure that, you know, being in a commercial setting next to residential, we're, we're not inflicting harm on anyone and, and uh, trying to be good neighbors with everybody possible. So I love the community. I love the people in the food scene in Portland. And, you know, I really want to be an industry kind of a restaurant as well. We've got $3 tall boys and we're going to have great happy hours and Monday um, kind of being an industry day and we'll be closed all day on every Tuesday which is great, gives us all a break. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I want it to be a cool community neighborhood place that's casual and, and come enjoy your day off or have a great lunch or dinner. And, um, you know, I want to be open to as many different categories of people as, as possible because I love it all. I think it's fun. Are you, um, you're not a pescatarian? No, no, I eat, I eat most everything. And so, but so when you go out, are you more prone to not order fish because that's your world? Not really. I actually enjoy going, um, like we went to Cabazon. My wife and I went to Cabazon here a couple of weeks back, and um, they did a great job. They a uh, phenomenal fish restaurant here in town. Um, they are, that is absolutely one of the most underrated restaurants in yeah, Portland. Yeah, they need to be that, on lists. Yep. Because we're in a fucking list culture. Yes. And um, they're not on lists. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. I think part of that is also, you may be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't really have a chef that anybody's ever heard of that, I shouldn't say anybody's ever heard of, that is in the conversation. Sure. Yeah, they're a little bit about. quieter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's husband, wife team. Um, and, um, you know, they, um, I, the food they put out was phenomenal. The environment was great. I love, they've got these beautiful stained glass, like octopus stained glass um, light fixtures around each table and they're amazing um, so yeah I was really impressed with with what they did um, where the hell was I going to go from there oh well you were talking about well, whether you order fish or oh yeah 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 so so I do enjoy to go out to um, and, and order fish because I like to see how other people prepare it you know for my own reference at home or for the restaurant uh, but a lot of times I'll also order like a pork chop or something out at a restaurant because none, nobody in my family eats pork, so I never get to cook it at home. So mm-hmm. sometimes if I'm out at a restaurant, I'll eat something like pork because that's not something I Have you had one that's particularly notable that comes to mind? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I haven't had the Acadia pork chop in years, but no. that was always... Lardo, you know, like a, a good, good banh mi. Um, well, that's, yeah, it's not that, a pork chop. No. I'm just thinking no, of a pork just chop. just pork in general, though. Um, ox makes, well, of course, everything ox. You can just assume if it's meat, it's going to be done. But yes. I've, had a, I've had a pork chop there that was, the, you know, the size of a small prime rib. Yes. You know, just pretty crazy. Bone in. Um, yummy. This, I don't want to put you on the spot or, or have you play favorites, but have you had, in, in your time in Portland, have you had some... Fish dishes that particularly in your mind make you, you know, that you look back and it was like, that was a holiday for a night. Mm. Now mm. I'm putting you on the spot. It's not coming. And yeah. it's fine yeah. because we all have brain freeze with food in Portland. It's very hard to, you know, think of something because we have so much good stuff here. It's hard to come up with favorites. 
along the way, but I just thought maybe you had a whole fish. Like I can think of the whole fish at departure. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. That is, the, yeah. the, the snapper, I think it, it changes, yeah. too. It's a rockfish that they use. I mean, some people call it Pacific snapper. It's actually just a rockfish. Um, yeah, I, I helped out Departure last winter and That's worked right. for a couple months in the kitchen there, getting more kitchen what was experience that like? with uh, GG. And, oh, it was amazing. It was so much fun. Uh, super high volume. I mean, it's a it's a machine there. Uh, it's, it's incredible, the production that it takes and to do 500 covers in a night of that kind of food. Um, so it was, it was a really great experience. Um, they, they put out some really nice seafood dishes. Um, the, that whole fish presentation is, is by far one of their best ones. I, um, you know, like I said already, Cabazon did a wonderful job with their, um, with their seafood dishes. I think I had like a Petrali sole or something there that was just phenomenal. Um, I, a whole, whole, um, fried Branzino at Jacqueline, um, was, was a pretty memorable experience. Um, there you go. See, if yeah. you give you a, f- a few moments, you'll they come to mind. Yeah, the old uh, like... boxer sushi used to do a really good job down the street from the shack uh, when I was at 23rd and Hawthorne right. that, um, that is now um, Nimblefish. But um, we used to be boxer sushi. Uh, Chef Ian down there used to do an amazing job. I used to go down there with my staff and um, had some pretty incredible sushi dishes. That which... closed because he moved. So that the, the, uh, Micah wasn't going to keep that going without him there. Yeah, I think it was um, just not quite making the money that the that restaurant group wanted it to be making. Oh, so well, that's what he told on. me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was the story at the time. But yeah. it was it was about um, the chef. Um, so what it does it surprise you that last year I had a salmon in Kitzbühel, Austria that was the best salmon I've ever had in my no life. No kidding. Does that make sense? I, it didn't make any sense to me, and I no. haven't done any research afterwards. So, yeah. You know, I guess in it was Austria. Atlantic salmon, right? But yeah. Austria, I mean, <laughs> inland, yeah. it was pretty What was cool. it all about? It was, uh, so it was served on a plank with some really good sides and... But he, they kind of put these little uh, flakes of sugary flakes on it and caramelized it. Oh. So it was a little crispy, t- incredibly tender um, filet. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I just couldn't believe that I was having that there. You know, yeah. coming from Portland, you think, wow, I'm having the, this is pretty incredible. But it, it surprised me. But I don't know much about the fishing industry. I do know that when I moved out to, Portland, I had to get used to the smoked salmon here yeah. because I was just used to lox. Oh, got it. Right? Yeah. Cold East smoke, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a little different here. So, but I like it. But you can still get, um, who's it? Gerard and Dominique. Yes. I used to be able to get. Yeah. Those guys do a really good job with the packaged salmon. Yep. Have you had theirs? Yeah. Um, I have, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, of the cold smokes you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ever going to make some, are we going to see flying fish? packaged i have my family recipe um i just got my house smoked salmon back up online at the new location um for the last four years i didn't have the space to do it so i had it um co-smoked through newman's uh, wholesale department um so i just got my own smoking program back up and uh, up and running i do a my family recipe is a hot smoked salmon so mm-hmm. it's a fully cooked hot, hot smoked salmon uh, we use the jacobson salt and the um, be local honey and then a spice mixture um, for a wet brine and then smoke it with apple, alder, cherry. Uh, so a lighter kind of um, smoke rather than the mesquite, um, kind of stronger smokes. And um, smoke it just as the minimal amount as possible to make it where it's fully cooked. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be up to, 
you know, so it's the minimum salinity possible and then the minimum cook time possible. So it's got to be up to 145 degrees for 30 minutes to make it a hot smoked, um, um, fully cooked product. And, uh, but I like to keep it nice and moist and soft and oily um, rather than a lot of the grocery store smoked salmon is going to be more um, hard because they keep on smoking it for longer to make sure that it's all the way cooked. Through. Keep on smoking. <laughs> so, but I mean, are you going to be uh, packaging that and selling it wholesale? Not wholesale, just retail. Okay. Just in the shop. Uh, yeah. There's a few places that, um, that, that have used it in the past. And I used to have my smoked salmon lines out in all the new season stores and Safeway stores, but I, I've kind of pulled back off of those programs and made flying fish and all my products that we produce, just, um, make it a flagship location where you got to come to flying fish to get those. And that's kind of my strategy right now. Speaking of flagship locations and strategy right now, yeah. what do you project? We mentioned b- before, Five years ago, do you have a business plan for five years from now? Not to let it out, but I'm just generally speaking. What do you, what do you want to do with yeah. your life? What do you want to do with your life, Leaf? <laughs> Tell us what you're going to do. So this this step has been the biggest, um, best step yet. Uh, it's been a natural progression to go from a farmer's market to a truck to the little shack on Hawthorne to this indoor fancy market that I've been the last four years to now my own brick and mortar and standalone restaurant. So it's been a natural progression to get to where I'm at. Um, I'm just currently leasing the building where we're in. Uh, I took over the lease from People's Pig that had it with the landlords. Um, I'm going to build out the outdoor seating and the beer garden area at the current location um, for this summer and then continue to improve the building and the seating and, and the you know the indoor-outdoor spaces so that I can enhance as many seats and, and offerings as possible out of the current location. So that's kind of my short-term strategy over the next year, let's say. And then uh, for the five-year plan, it is going to be to actually purchase the real estate um, from the building that we're in. The family, it's a living trust that own it and would love to be able to um, acquire that from, from the the trust and um, really have a, a solid foot on the ground with owning the commercial real estate and the business that lives kind of like buying your own house where if you can have your business that eventually pays off a mortgage um, mm-hmm. for a commercial real estate, then you're in a much better position than just renting forever. Right. So. And you're young and you have kids in college and you need to. Yeah. They're to seven and nine now. So I've got to keep strategizing for the long term for that as well. Well, you know, and so it won't be long before college education is free. So you're not going to have to worry about it. Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of wishful. My kids are out of college, but we should have something like that. Hopefully. In place, I hope. Um, or something where it's reasonable. Yes. Um, that would be uh, important. So are you, you know, you've been focused wholly on opening Flying Fish. Mm -hmm. Do you have any fun travel plans? You know, you gave me that recommendation for Fern Canyon, which I wasn't able to take you up on. So the weather wasn't quite right. Yeah. There I am again. (laughs) You got to remember, Chris, I'll give you this recommendation as long as the weather holds out. (laughs) Well, if the stars align, then it'll work out. But I know about it now, and I'm going to do that. I looked up online all the... All the ins and outs, so That's we'll amazing. get down there. We just love that trip. It was yep. great. Down yeah. to Northern California. So do you have any plans to go to Northern California or anywhere with your family? You know, we've been going down to Northern California every year for spring break, uh, for the kids' spring break, and uh, that's where Fern Canyon and the Redwoods and all that um, have come into play for the last several years. I think we're going to do that trip again. Um, 
you know, not sure. I'm turning 40 in March next month. So I was going to think you were a little good. younger than that. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. So it's a big year for me. So not sure exactly what I'm going to do for that, but I, um, yeah, not much. Just really focused on, on everything that's happening within my, um, arena right now and and that's kind of where i'm going to stay focused um i do we do some trips in the summer up to my hometown in sandpoint and we typically go to san juan islands and other fun stuff like that um you know maybe down to joshua tree or something but nothing, we're staying off the planes for the most part we just did a little trip right before or actually a big trip right before i opened the restaurant so that was that was our warm weather big trip um, mm-hmm. to tahiti for two weeks before this opened wow so that was a that was um, that and by the way was that planned Ahead of time so that you had to say, oh, well, that's going to happen right before, I think it was shuck, and right before we opened the restaurant. Or was that like, we're going to need that break, so let's take it. No, that was an opportunity that I had a Flamefish customer invite me on a sailboat in Tahiti um, before this People's Pig location ever came to fruition. Right. So we had the date set, and then the location came up, and it was like, I was figuring out the timing, and I wasn't going to open the restaurant before I did a two-week Tahiti trip. So I just ended up pushing back my opening date until February so that I could complete that vacation in January. And That's pretty um, awesome. Put, you know, got the ball, the snowball rolling while I was gone and had the construction happening And my staff. I have about five core staff members that came with me from my last location that really all have a amazing talent and um, did construction and sanding and painting and, and all sorts of stuff while I was gone. So it was, it was an amazing um, journey to have it continue while without me there and, and really help them. Did they have cell phone visit. service down there? Were you able to drop the phone? I was out of phone range for a whole week and it was wow. the best week ever. And was that, is that difficult? Was that, were you feeling a little antsy? No, I, I feel, I felt more antsy when I was able to check things because it just didn't know what was going to come up or what was going to, or how I could fix a problem if it came up. So it was better for me to just have it out of sight, out of mind and just not check it at all. Not post, not check, nothing, nothing. Just check the hell out. Well, that's interesting. Right before you were ready to go. Uh, Crazy. Well, good for you. Wishing you you so much luck over there. Thank you. And have to get back for something different. And we were talking about doing a Portland Food Adventures dinner. So I hope, you know what, the perfect thing actually makes more sense now to do it when you have outside seating open. And I'd love to do it right when that opens. And I think that would be great because I think we'd probably... We'd probably sell more than 24 tickets for yeah. one. And secondly, that would be the consummate experience. Let's do it. Too. So It'll be amazing. We'll figure that out. So let's find a date for that. Yep. And uh, But in the meanwhile, before and after that, whenever that may happen, yeah. um, good luck, man. Thank nice. you so much. You have a really nice spot there. You're um, one of the nicest. I've met a lot of people in this food world since I've been here. Mm. One of the nicest guys that I've had the pleasure to meet. So Thank you very and, much. Uh, we, that's why we've had you back here three times. We're gonna have to. We, you're gonna have to come up with something fun and new and different to have you back a fourth time. Well, though, you know me. We'll figure something out. We'll, we'll come up with it. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. And here it is, part two of our conversation with Leaf. This is Chris and Leaf talking uh, last week, which would have been May fifteenth, about uh, what's been going on uh, during the pandemic and what his plans are for the future and. Uh, Leaf is actually doing this interview from his deck, so you're going to probably hear some some birds in the background, which is always nice. So here it is, part two with Leaf. 
right. Yeah. There you are. Okay. So once again, how are things with you, Mr. Gildersleeve? Everything is pretty good in my world. Oh, it went from. Was it pretty good a minute ago, or was it great? No, I think you said. <laughs> I think you said pretty good, but we we just have to keep it up there. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's a okay. I'm uh, I'm plugging away. Fortunate to be in the position I am um, in the grocery component of the pandemic because uh, people are still eating. So right, I guess you were sort of set up for that. But uh, you know, I think back when you and I spoke, which was late February, right? There was yeah. at that time maybe we'd heard a little bit about this, but I don't think there was any thought as to. Uh, you know, understanding what was about to happen in the next two weeks. Definitely. Who who would have been able to guess? What a what a crazy time. Yeah, I don't think you know. I think at the time, I think it was right after we spoke, we started hearing about Seattle and what Tom Douglas was doing up there. And I remember that was the first I'd heard that there was actually going to be um, an upheaval of some sort, um, but. You know, at the time we thought it was up there. But at any rate, I wanted to catch up with you because, you know, as if opening Flying Fish wasn't challenging enough uh, <laughs> to have this thrown at you, what, three weeks after you opened? Three weeks to a month? We had five weeks of uh, amazing push being a restaurant, and then this happened. Right. Okay, and and no nowhere in the weeks, months leading up to building the restaurant and the, having the business plans was there a um, a folder or a plan that said what to do in case of a pandemic? A contingency plan. On the <laughs> right, exactly. My goal was just to get those doors open. It was a it was a scramble for me to do that in the short amount of time from when I left my last location to opening a new spot. Uh, so, I mean, literally with cash flow and with, with build out, um, it was, it was just a scramble to get it all going. So there was no extra precautions per se. Uh, so I guess I'm, I feel lucky that I had those five weeks because we were really busy. It helped to create cash flow and create momentum. And then when the restaurant, um, Got, got closed down uh, when Kate Brown did the executive order close down all the restaurants. We definitely felt the hit in the beginning, but then the customers that I've been building for the last nine years had, did start coming back um, and just buying their fish to cook at home. And then there was still, you know, fish and chips to go. And, and that's great. But what happened is it moved from 75% of the sales in the beginning when I first opened were restaurant and then that shifted to 75% of the sales were grocery. So it flip flopped, um, from, from the restaurant sales to the grocery sales. And we're just lucky that we have the consistency with the customer base that we have the grocery sales because, you know, that's why a lot of the restaurants and stuff and stuff are struggling because if it was just the to go sales, it just doesn't cut it. 
Um, I think, yeah, you're right. That five weeks also allowed you to get a little bit of um, to establish yourself in the neighborhood because you'd never been over there. So I'm sure that helped. Do you think uh, moving towards 75 percent grocery sales is going to be able to help you when you come out of this to strengthen that side of the business, which was already strong, by the way, you've been as you said, you've been doing it for nine years. But when we come out of this, do you think that's going to help you be even stronger to up both sides of the equation for Flying Fish? I do. I, I think that for a lot of our businesses, not just Flying Fish Company, but other places that are moving to different kind of categories, I feel like when we come out of this and we're able to open back up as a restaurant, I feel like the restaurant sales will come back. But then we've already set a bar under this other category that will still stay somewhat consistent. Um, so really, like I foresee it to broaden the bandwidth of the revenue streams coming in from these different categories uh, that we are all creating um, by this pandemic. So yes, I think it will be a stronger. We'll be in a stronger position and, and have additional stronger revenue streams to be able to, you know, help support even more business so I, I I'm, I'm looking at it as a positive out of this and just trying to make the best of it and um, I, you know, certainly not that way for everybody but that's how I'm looking at it how did you do with um, all the help quote unquote available from the government uh, so you you said that you had some solid sales of you know gross of fish and so forth grocery items is that how you have is that how you've sustained yourself or have any of the government programs or is anything, any other source of, of um, money uh, helped you to get through this? Yeah, so I, I was sitting around waiting for Umqua Bank to approve my PPP loan and I, I posted some stuff on social media and had a lady contact me that she could help me with that PPP loan and, and she did. And then I put it out there for other people that hey there's this person that can help you out if you're waiting still waiting for your bank to get back in touch don't wait any longer we all saw how fast that first round of money went and then when congress approved the second round of ppp loan uh, money um this lady ended up approving over 250 loans for my network of people wow to be able to bring millions of dollars into the community and so it was pretty amazing so with that, um, I was able to get some labor money um, allocated to me um, through the PPP loan. And a lot of the details of those loans as far as the wh- how much is forgivable and that are still somewhat to be determined. But I was able to get that money to help to make sure that employees were paid and, uh, you know, we – and some expenses were paid. Um, I wasn't in a financial position um, of of struggling as much where I, I had revenue coming in because we still had fish sales and to-go sales. Um, I think that – so that money was just kind of extra money that is able to help float um, everything better. Um, but for other places that are completely shut down, I think that government money – is you know it's it's a step of progress but um, gosh it's just not the full lifeline even for even for a business you know other businesses that are completely shut down again I, I feel lucky that I have some cash flow or significant cash flow going right now just from the sales 
and and the PPP money was just kind of gravy money, really. Right. So, um, by the way, <laughs> I have to mention it. Usually, throughout this uh, the last six weeks that we've been doing these episodes, and I've been recording from home on a cell phone on speakerphone. I've asked everybody to be in a quiet location, but now I'm going to add if you can get outside with birds tweeting, that's even better because I think it. <laughs> <laughs> it it creates an even better background and uh it's it's a nice real down to earth gritty thing that well I wouldn't call it gritty but but uh, this is what we're all doing now and I there's nothing wrong with birds tweeting. I could probably go out on my deck and do the same thing. We could have dueling birds. So um Yes, except that, except what you, you the only thing that I've had auditory interruption was the uh, the oven beat being saying that it was up to three hundred degrees to warm the quiche that I bought yesterday at a bakery. So <laughs> so, anyways, it's funny how this is. Uh, I, I love the way you know things have changed, and uh, I think you're a, that's an incredible story that you were able to help so many people get the loans. Now you don't, as you said, you don't yet know about all the ins and outs of what's forgivable, so you have to be very careful on how you're using those funds so that you're not necessarily going to be have to repay those in the future. That's not going to help you to have a huge hit. You know, I'm sure you have loans taken yeah. out just to open the restaurant in the first place. So you don't need you don't need these. And and everybody else, the 250 businesses that got them, they've got to watch it too because it's not necessarily a big help if it's going to put restaurants in further debt. You're right. No, it is a um, you know they have it scheduled and amortized out as a like a two-year loan. So those repayments on that loan are, are pretty significant because that's a pretty aggressive um, repayment schedule um, for, uh, a, for a lot of businesses, a pretty big loan. So, yeah, for, for me, um, it's, it's allowing me to um, use some of my cash flow because now my labor is paid for through that PPP loan money. I'm using that money for the payroll as it's supposed to be. So it's allowing some of my other cash flow to go to building out my outside patio area right now on my west side of the building because with when we are able to open back up, there's going to be the social distancing requirements. And I am in a fortunate position, again, that I have a big parking lot that I'm going to take over half of the parking lot and put picnic tables out there and umbrellas and lights hanging and, and a fire pit out there. So I have the space where I'm, I'm building it out right now with some of that cash flow because when it opens back up, I'll be able to have that extra square footage to be able to grow into, whereas a lot of businesses just have their footprint, whether it be an indoor footprint and maybe a small little, you know, area where they can do some outdoor seating. But I have, um, you know, several thousand square feet extra that I'm going to be using for that. So, again, I feel uh, very lucky that, that I, I've got the property that I have and I've got the cash flow to be able to build that out right now because in, hopefully in a couple of weeks when we're able to open back up, then now I'm going to have more tables and they're going to be spread apart uh, as they should be um, for the new orders that are going to come into play. So, Again, I, I I feel lucky that I'm in that position that 
you know, the stars have really aligned for me, and, and I feel very, very fortunate because it's, it's certainly not that way for everyone right now. Yeah, I was about to say, I, geez, I hope <laughs> that all the update stories that I hear are this positive, but unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the case. But talk no. about also another little serendipitous thing, and I'm not going to put you on the um, on the uh, um, on the spot. Um, because I can always edit this. I can always delete it. But you and I had a, a, a plan for your opening to do a Portland Food Adventures event, and you were yeah. so slammed with Shuck and opening your restaurant, we kind of decided we were pushing it and then talked about, well, when you get your outside open, let's do that. So here we are in the middle of our podcast with millions of people listening. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, hey, let's talk about, we don't have to do it right now, but I hope you're still amenable to, uh, I, I would love to do a cabin fever opening event, especially with a restaurant like yours that's new and special. It's got all the ingredients for a really fun thing and a win for everybody who's dying to get out of their house and have yes. some great food. So I hope we can plan that for uh, sometime in July or August. So uh, what, what do those look like? What do those dates look like? And that I'm asking not only for that, but in terms of where you're projecting right now based on where uh, Kate Brown is and what she's talking about and where the city of Portland is. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm all all game for um, starting to plan some events. You know, I think that we are certainly going to have a different equation for, you know, moving forward, you know, with the news that Feast is not going to happen this year and, and other stuff. I think that we'll continue to have to navigate um, how events are structured for culinary events or any events for that matter, concerts or I think that, it, that that's going to be a unique difference of, of but you know for the future of, of all of us that want to play um, but but nevertheless I think that we can navigate um, how to effectively do events and still create a safe space for people to participate because I mean we're, we're all still foodies and we like to experience different um, components of, of eating and um, getting cooked for. So I'm, I'm really excited to continue to navigate that. And I think that with the governor's orders and, and the reopening of places are going to be a challenge for some. But I also think that you know, that stuff will soften as time goes along as well that will make it more accessible for people to and restaurants to operate more functionally because with the current ideas of what what is going to be proposed for reopening, it, in some regards, it's just not feasible for some restaurants to even open under those guidelines. So I'm excited for all of our friends to be able to open on a regular basis and have consumers be comfortable in going to places uh, for for all of our livelihoods for all of our friends working in the in the food industry it's it's going to be a uh, right. challenging next couple months but I, I, i'm optimistic i think it's going to be a challenging year because we're not only dealing with yes. logistics for a few months we're dealing with finances for a long time because these were big hits so uh but and your patio is a different beast than feast or a big concert, um, you know, 
we're already talking about gatherings of 25 to 100, whereas you can't do something like that at a larger scale event. Yes. So, so listen, I know I appreciate you're taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're on your way. I hope to go fishing in Washington, but maybe not. Um, it, sound, it sounds so perfect and glamorous. Let's just leave it at that. Um, yeah. But I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to uh, catching up. And let's – I have – obviously, I have no local events on the planner. My trips have been all – well, mostly moved at this point in time from 2020 to 2021. So I personally yeah. would love to get out there and do, do what we love. With you, yeah. it would be an honor to open up – events again for Portland Food Adventures and even for Portland. If we get one of the first really cool events out there, that would be great. So, yes, um, I'm in. Let's, let's talk more about that. And thank you so much for having me again. Always a pleasure. Well, it, and also I will mention that your, your publicist, Lisa Hill, is ahead of us on this because she wrote when this started to say we should interview you. And I said, well, we just had him. And in fact, we'll do absolutely want to do an update to see what's happened since then, because to put your interview out where we aren't even talking about COVID-19 uh, without yeah. this little addendum, it's not a little addendum, but this addendum afterwards uh, wouldn't have made much sense. So we're trying to make sense of everything and we appreciate your uh, playing ball and being so available and always being so positive and upbeat. You really are one of the most positive and upbeat people I know, which indicates that you actually never spent time living on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. All right. Compliments. I appreciate it. All right, Leaf. We'll look forward to seeing you soon, and I can't wait for your fish and chips. So, Thank you, friend. And yes, and uh, we'll talk to you very shortly. You have a great Friday, a great fish Friday. Yay! Okay, Cheers. man. Talk to you later. Thanks. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right